Welcome to the last week in our series, Ceaseless Prayer. In this series, we've been covering what that means to live in prayer. If you missed a week, go back, pick that up uh, on a podcast. In fact, that's a great way to invite people is post those podcasts and say, hey, this blessed me. I want to share it with you. I want you to be able to see that prayer is important because at its very core, it's about our relationship with God. That's what prayer and this series has been about. It's why as a pastor, I remind you to pray every week. I implore you to pray. I beg you to pray, right? Because we've said this in this series, uh, that prayer and Bible study is our act of spiritual breathing every day. Our home base for this scripture has been, for this series has been this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. <clears throat> Remember, there are three words in here that are infinite words. You say those loud, confidently, right? Here we go. Rejoice, Always. pray, Always. and then give thanks in for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God. Ceaseless prayer. God wants this relationship with you to begin now, not later. Because if you're like me, I have these great times with God that I feel close to Him. You know, kind of mountaintop experiences. Maybe it's after a worship service where I just feel like God really moved. You know, like the, the worship just got me. But it's usually in those times that I start letting prayer slip. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I know I'm supposed to pray, but I'm a little bit too busy. So I go, I'm going to pray later today, but that doesn't come. So I think, I'll pray tomorrow. And then I think, well, since I didn't pray those two days, I'll, I'll work especially hard on Saturday morning. Nobody will find me. And, and, and I just pray less and less. But then a hard time comes, some struggle I'm facing. I just feel down or, or worry turns into anxiety. I know for me, worry turns into anxiety because my face starts to look like this, right? You get that little thing right here, you know, you're, you kind of get that little wrinkle there. And, and anxiety is that thing, it's like a worry just kind of gets on you and it's just right here. Maybe it even turns into this depression because all this anxiety is there and you go, God, I need you. But you go, oh, what is that? Sometimes I'm just kind of depressed. Praise God. I've learned in anxiety or in depression to let those things drive me to prayer because I have to to be able to breathe spiritually. But then there are other times when I have a specific need that I'm praying for, like someone's sick, or a money issue, or a specific thing for a meeting that's coming up, or you name it. It's this thing, and it's usually time-sensitive. You know what I mean? Like, God, if you don't come through in this time with this answer, I can't. Guarantee what it's going to look like. God, this is, this is rough. And because and that need I take to God is that time-sensitive need. I need to know now, God. <clears throat> A scripture that has blessed us in this series and has comforted many of us in our lives has been this one. When we have this feeling or this urgent need that we're praying for, we have this scripture that we can hold on to. Philippians 4, 6 it says, don't worry about, anything. but in, everything. 
Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He said, don't worry about anything. And you go, anything? Anything? God, I got a lot on my plate. Well, this is great, and I feel better reading that. Notice, it's an awful lot like our theme verse for the series, 1 Thessalonians 5. In other words, no matter what it is, I can take that need, perceived feeling or real thing that's a concrete that I need an answer for. I don't have to worry about it. And in fact, I'm commanded to not worry about it. But I do. I like this verse, and I know, uh, and we know that God hears our prayers, amen? And his children, Christians, have access to the very throne room of the God himself that created everything through the breath of his mouth, through the words. God, Christians have access to that very presence in prayer, right? So all scripture bears that out. God himself tells his people that in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 33, verse 3, God says, call to me, call to me, and I will answer you. That's great news. Call to me, and I will answer to you, and tell you great and comprehensible things that you do not know. Praise God, he answers prayer. Amen? Now, that's where Facebook theology leaves you. And you go, what's Facebook theology? Facebook theology is when someone posts or shares a truth and it's just a little snippet of a scripture or a little truth saying, you go, amen, and you hit that a little emoticon, right? You, you hit that little emoji right there and you, you go, okay, yeah. And, and, and you go, praise God. You hear somebody like me say, God answers prayer. And you go, wow, that's great. And, and it's where you, you take that little thing. You say, now I can li live my Christian life. I got everything I need. You see that little meme that says God answers prayer and everyone hits the like button or even the little love one, right? You know, the little heart uh, and it goes like that. Everyone scrolls on down to the next cat video or funny meme and everybody goes, man, we're all living great because you posted God answers prayer. I fixed everyone. No worries. But that's not you, is it? Because you pause for a moment. You pause for a moment, you look at that thing, you go, God answers prayer. Or like you hear that preacher say, God answers prayer, and it hurts your heart. Maybe you even want to post a little angry face, right? Because maybe you were in that time when you needed this prayer answered, and it was urgent, and you prayed, and you believed in your heart, you did everything right, like maybe you fasted, maybe you prayed, maybe you shed some tears, maybe there were like even holes in your jeans, jeans because you were on your knees so much, and, and, but nothing, nada. In fact, God may have even gave a resounding no. God answers prayers. So here's the question I want to ask today. What do we do when God says no? Or this can, can be even an answer that's even harder than no. Wait. Because it's almost like no, but it's like, but God, if you miss the timing, you miss it all. This is one of the most painful ones for some of us. And if it's not, it will be in your life. Well, let's go to God in prayer. Would you bow your head as we seek God 
Father God, you are a good God. We love you. We worship you. But God, we have some big questions here. We look with confidence to your words of Scripture. We don't want a neat little answer that we can get on Facebook. God, we want to open your words. We want to dive deep. Speak to us. Open the truth locked in these words. Help us to know how to do life from those words. But even more than that, help us to know who you are, God. Your character. We want to know you, God. That's what we want. We want to know you. We want to grow deep in our relationship with you, God. We don't want to settle for anything less than the truth. Show us how deep we can go. Holy Spirit, be in this place, in our ears, in our hearts. Open our eyes to this truth. It is in the great and awesome name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said... Amen. Well, let's start with a solid verse about prayer. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It's all the way at the end of the Bible. If you get to the book of Revelation, you've gone too far. Uh, there's like a little page uh, book that's a little tiny one called Jude, but it's, that's too far. But go to 1 John. There's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st John. This is a little letter from the apostle. Look what he says. He says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now the Apostle John begins by telling us that he has written this letter to you, believers in Jesus, that believe on the Son of God as your Lord and Savior. This isn't just a mental decision that you make. It is a belief in Jesus that he is who he claims to be. John says that he has written this letter so that you may know that you will have eternal life. Now let that sink in. So that you may know that you have eternal life. Belief can be a shaky thing. John is saying to believers, you can have an assurance of your salvation. He says, you can know that you know that you know. The Apostle Peter puts it like this. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Peter says, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Who would like to never stumble in their faith? This would be, this would be all of us. He's saying, look, you can know that you know. You can have an assurance of who you are in Christ Jesus. Look up uh, there, underline the words, make every effort. Make every effort. That means you have to make an effort to do what? To confirm your calling and election. What is that? Your calling can be thought of like this. We are spiritually dead when Jesus calls us to life. Amen? It's as if uh, when a preacher is sharing the gospel, I heard it this week, he is walking through a spiritual graveyard. People are not sick. They are dead, right? Jesus calls them to life with the power of the gospel. We are spiritually dead when Jesus calls them. Your election means it wasn't you that somehow earned your calling like, oh, you're good enough and you figured out that Jesus was the Savior. But that Jesus simply decided to save you out of your sins and call you into spiritual life. 
and that Jesus has a plan for your life specifically. Now, don't miss this. You can make every effort to confirm this stuff because it can be confirmed. Do you understand what I'm saying? These aren't just words. Your salvation can be confirmed. And listen, you're confirmed, I mean, you're called for a purpose. You live where you live, work where you work, married or related to, and where you are in time is no accident. God has called you. He has elected you. This is what it means. What Paul is saying here is that there is a confidence you can have in your salvation in Christ Jesus. Some of you need this confidence because your faith is shaky. And it's time to get strong. Now check this out. Why do we need this confidence in our salvation? This is why. Confidence in our salvation builds our faith. Are you with me? Confidence in our salvation builds our faith. I want you to see something here. Not this. All right. And faith enables us to pray with effectiveness. Prayer is so key in how we live out our life. We have learned that throughout this series, what John and Peter are doing here is to refine, refine our understanding of prayer in that relationship. Now, some of you look at this and you go, salvation builds our faith, but in our salvation brought by faith, yes. But look, once you are saved, having confidence in your salvation builds your faith in how you live. Switch back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 for a minute. This is the confidence we have before Him. You see this? This is the confidence. You go, what is it? Underline that word confidence. Think of this picture. A powerful king is about to hold court. Do you know what holding court means? The king is going to hear from his subjects, the great unwashed. He's going to hear their petitions. So go with me just for a second. Turn that little flat screen on in your head for a minute. Picture this. A great throne room. It's massive. It's got columns. I think they're deep green. And then they've got, at the top, it's got gold kind of leaf at the top. The floors are white marble. There are hundreds and hundreds of what are called courtiers. You know what courtiers are? Those are the government officials that can make things happen. They are the military leaders. They're all dressed in their nicest clothes, flowing robes. Then, you have at the front, you have a high platform of a white marble. And you've got a bunch of steps leading up to it. And then on top of that, you have a throne made of gold. And this throne seated on it is the king himself. He's got all his flowing robes on. He looks great. And he has a big gray beard. See if you can picture that. Because all good kings have beards. He's sitting there. He's got this beautiful golden crown that's almost too bright to look at. Going down the steps, you've got these guys with spears and swords standing there. You got the picture? And their armor is polished so brightly that you could see yourself in the, in the armor there. And they are standing there guarding the king. Do you have this picture in your head? 
And everyone is doing this. When they come up to the king, the courtiers, they don't turn their back. They bow like this and they walk backwards from the king because this is so reverent. This is an all-powerful king, very wealthy. Do you get this picture? Then the young king's son comes into the court. He's a little guy. Picture like five years old. He doesn't get any of the pomp and circumstance, right? He just runs through all the people and he comes up and bounds up the steps, takes two at a time, and he gets to the top one and he launches himself into his father's arms. Now, if anyone else had done that, they would have been a dead man. Why? Because the guards would have run him through. But this guy has special access to the king. Are you with me? He sits up there with the king, the little boy. He has this confidence, his relationship with the king. That's what John is telling us we can have. And we, we have that confidence in our relationship with the king. Look at the second verse or half of verse 14. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Underline those words, anything according to his will. This is critical that you understand this in prayer because I think most Christians just skip this part. Picture the young son in the king's lap again. You got that picture? The young son, he's excited to be there because they're about to let all of the people in. All of the great unwashed. There's a line that goes blocks and blocks waiting to see the king. They're dirty. They're unkept. They're going to come and each one present their request to the king. And the little boy leans up and he says, Dad, Dad, I've got a request first. Okay, bud, what, what do you want? we got to start this thing. What do you want? I want a sword like one of the guards over there. You got swords. No, Dad, I got a play sword. I want a real sword. I want a sharp sword. I want a long sword. King thinks for a moment. He says, no, can't have a sword. Why, Dad? Because oh, you'll hurt yourself. You're a little guy. That's, you have a play sword. One day you're going to have a real sword. But, Dad, I'm strong. I'm going to be a warrior like you. I'm going to be a great king like you. No, son, you sit there. You sit there. You watch. So the little boy, he's kind of miffed on this. He's kind of upset on this thing. The king says, you sit there and watch. I don't want to watch, but watch all these guys come in. King says, don't interrupt. You watch this. So the king watches as the king conducts business. They let in all the people. They come one at a time or groups up to the throne. They bow down, each person waiting to see the king. They bow low. They present their business to the king. The king is thoughtful, listens to each request of the king's power. And the king always rules by saying either yes or no or wait and he modifies their request and grants it but a different time frame. The son notices the king. After everyone is gone, he's noticed the king and how he rules. And the king says, did you notice how I did that? The little boy says, yes, but how did you know whether to say yes or no, or wait. And the good king says, it's pretty simple, buddy. What I do is I think of the kingdom, what my plan is for the kingdom. If their request will bring glory to the kingdom and expand the kingdom, and if it will be good for them, I say yes. But if it's not the right timing, I change the timing. Or I say no. 
the little boy understands. Look at verse 15. Keep that in mind. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Do you see the two things that we must have in place out of this scripture? We must have confidence to approach the king as his child. We have that through the blood of Jesus. Our prayer requests must be in line with the will of God. Oh, please get this. Please get this. Now, do we always know the will of God? Raise your hand if you know the will of God. Yeah, none of us do. Sometimes we do. Some things, but, but not much. Much of our future and His plans for us are a mystery. They're simply shrouded in a time we've not come to yet. God has simply not revealed them to us, right? Like we know from our series that there are things that are in His will, and we know it. We know pray. We know constant, ceaseless prayer, always being connected to God, right? We know Scripture reading. We know God's will in that. We know that we are to share the gospel, amen? We are to share the story of Jesus' blood. But let's be clear. There is a truckload in life that we don't know, and God doesn't want us to know, or He would have revealed it to us. We don't know how he will act in the future, what he will say. But here's what we can know. We can know his character. We can know the character of God. This is important to understand. It's one of the big reasons we study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We want to know the character of God, the good king. We want to know him as a child. We can know the words of Scripture, or what we call his revealed will, we can have that regular relationship with Him through ceaseless prayer, regular Bible study. So how do we pray? We ask for what we want, while at the same time submitting our wants to God's will. We approach the throne with confidence. What is the desire we have after prayer and spending time with God? Knowing His plans are His plans and not our plans. I frequently say this, God, uh, this, uh, this prayer that I'm praying here, I'm going to pray for what I want, and then I pray that thing. But God, we want what you want. Help us to be in line with your will. I just pray that a lot in some version of that prayer. Uh, because that's hard, because sometimes people go, hey, can you pray for me to be well? Absolutely. Pray for that. Sometimes God says no. God doesn't heal every time. Hang on. Do the desires we have always line up with God's will? No. But like the young prince in the king's lap asking the father, the good king doesn't give the boy what he should not have. He wanted a sharp sword. He wants to be like his dad. He wants to fight battles. Good dad wouldn't give a sharp sword to a little kid, right? But the little kid doesn't understand that. The good king doesn't give us what we don't need. But it's still okay for the son to ask. He has the desire. He wants this. It's just the wrong thing in the wrong time. And you go, Paul, that idea though, we know we shouldn't have that. I'm saying we don't know the mystery of God. It's still okay for the son to ask. It's okay for you to ask. If you've been a believer in Jesus very long, you know that we do not always get what we ask for. And praise God we don't. Can someone say amen to that? I have said prayers. 
That I begged God through tears to act and to do something here. And he said, no. Thank you, God, every time. Because I prayed some messed up prayers. How about you? But the good king, he loves us. But what confuses us so deeply is that sometimes we pray for what seems so obvious according to his revealed will in Scripture. Like what is written in the Bible. We're praying that. You go, God, you're going to give us this thing. The way we must think about that and understand this verse and all of that is in light of not just a single Facebook post Scripture, but in light of all Scripture together in context. Do you understand? This is important. Jesus said this in Matthew 21. This is Jesus' words. He says, and if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, there's a lot going on here. We believe. You go, but whatever, whatever you ask for. This verse has to be interpreted in all of Scripture and all of what Jesus is saying. Now, we tend to think that it's easy at first. But remember, this faith is a gift from God that you have. And it has to be exercised in our life. Your faith has to be built. It has to grow like muscles. You you with me? It's through the ups and downs of life that he grows your faith. Now, here's the thing. During those up times when everything's running perfect, rarely does your faith grow in its ability. It's during the sufferings. It's during the down times. This is hard news. Even though we didn't get the answer we wanted, we have to trust him. This is important. It's through the ups and downs of life, praying and hearing back the no or the wait from God. Are we going to trust him even though he said no? Or are we going to do our own thing? I would suggest if done right and we trust him, when he says no or wait, ultimately will make us stronger when he says no to us. Did you catch that? When he says no, when he says wait, I think it's during those times we have the opportunity to grow stronger because we don't see what's supposed to be seen there and we're having to trust what we don't see. The apostle James said this in James 1 verse 6. He said, but let, me, but let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Man, some of you have lived on that surging sea, haven't you? I have. I've been tossed about. Going, God, what are you doing here? Remember we had this agreement? I prayed and asked for that. Why aren't you asking? Answering. But slowly my faith has grown into something more solid. Not that I don't have doubts or worries, but that through those doubts and worries, I go to Jesus regularly. In fact, when I have doubts, that's when I'm on my knees because I trust the good king, my father. And you can too because I know him well. I've studied every word in scripture. I I contend you to go, I want to know you, great king. Here is a hard verse, but a true verse. I want you to look at this very carefully. This is from the apostle Peter. The old fisherman says this in 1 Peter 4, 19. He says, so then, watch this, watch. Let those who suffer according to God's will. Hang on just a second. 
Do you mean that sometimes we suffer according to God's will? That's what it says. God has allowed that thing in your life. He's the all-powerful God. You're going, wait, wait a second. I thought it was bad to suffer. I hate suffering. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. In the middle of your being tossed, in the middle of your suffering, it's saying entrust yourself to God. Are you with me? Write this down. When you are suffering, entrust yourself to God. You know what it means to entrust him? Entrust something to him? If I hand you my wallet and I say, would you watch this for me? Because I, I need to go do this thing and I, I can't carry my wallet. I'm entrusting you with something valuable there. Some of you are going to suffer. It's just the truth. While uh, we are here on this earth, entrust yourself to God. He is still in control. And yes, we can cry. We can get angry. We can get upset. We can get mad. But know that He is your loving Father. He understands. Here is, uh, he, he's there for us. Let me touch on something that is very painful for I would think most people in the room at some level, some so dreadfully painful that you don't want to think about it. Go there with me just for a second. I don't know what your situation is. Some of you believers have something that you brought to God in prayer and maybe you did everything right. Maybe you were not living in sin, you were in your Bible every day, but God said no. And I don't know what it is. Maybe... It's a failed marriage. Maybe it's a decision of a child. Maybe it is somebody that you lost. They died and you were believing for their prayer. That prayer would heal them, but they didn't live. And God said no. And you say, okay. Okay, God. I see how this works. You hurt me. And listen, I know this hurts but is this what you've done? You've gone, I did everything right and you said no, God. I needed you and you did not show up. And you go, I still believe in the Son of God. I'm still a Christian, but you throw up walls around. You go, I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm not gonna entrust this heart to you anymore. Yeah, I wanna get to heaven, but not like this anymore because you said no. And here's the Here's the truth, and it's going to be painful. That thing that God said no for, we may not understand on this side of heaven. But here's what we do know. If that thing that he said no to drove a wall between you and God, that thing was more important than God was to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you are raging inside because you go, Paul, I prayed for a child to live. That had to be God's will. And I'm saying, we don't know. God is sovereign. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me address two major misconceptions about prayer and how to pray. First, I think most Christians get this wrong about prayer. They think that prayer is about trying to get God to change his mind and follow their will. Let's see if this is right. It's not. Prayer is not about changing the heart of God but about changing our heart instead. 
Now you can substitute mind or heart there. I'm just using heart because it's the center of who we are and you're just saying, God, I'm trying to change your mind here. In fact, I think a lot of Christians do this. They go, if we can get a whole bunch of us to to pray, maybe that will change God's mind. Now hear me right, hear me right. We don't change God's mind. God does not change. Ever. Look at this verse. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. Do you understand? You go, well, Paul, the problem I have with that is all through the Bible, you see God changing in respect to prayer. And I say, do you? Do you see that? Because I would challenge what you are really seeing is a God that doesn't change but is waiting for you to. He's hoping, he is wanting you to change and you're praying and it looks like God changes his mind but what's happening is you're praying to God and, he's, and you go, okay, I'm going to change over here and I'm praying, God goes, now, now, I will say yes or I will say it's a different time. You see where I'm going? God doesn't change. Well, then why do we pray then? Some of you are asking that. Because you've gone through that hard time. You're going, I don't even know why we're praying to God. If he's just going to do what he's going to do. Two reasons. One, relationship. That's what this series has been about, right? To build it, to grow it to a deep level, to know God, to, be, uh, uh, to build it, to know God at a deep level. And then the second reason is to change us in who we are. Because we have all this fleshly desires that want the wrong thing. This is talking about changing us. That's what's happening through prayer. Yes, is it okay to get people to pray for you? Pray for a big deal? Yes, absolutely. Prayer requests. I I spend a good deal of my mornings praying for you. Standing in intercession for you. Praying on your behalf. Why? Because I want God to change you. And to change all the things around you. To draw you closer to God. And me too. Let's change the story just a little bit here. The story of the good king. Instead of the little boy, let's grow him up a little bit. He's a young prince. And they're about to see people. But God, instead of waiting for all the great unwashed to come in, he turns to his son and he said, there's there's a child out there that I want to adopt as my son. And the prince says, okay, let's go. And so they go down and leave the palace into the great world out there and God calls someone that is not his son to be his son that's you and then his son takes the place of the poor kid put yourself in that scenario now 1 Peter 1.3 says this therefore With your minds ready for action, be sober-minded. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former, former ignorance, but as 
The one who called you is holy. You also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God calls us out of the world. He says, I want you to be my child. Jesus takes our place on the cross. He pays for our sins, past, present, future, with the blood he shed. He buys your freedom. You now are a child of God, but you are from outside the palace. You don't know how to live. You're used to wearing rags. You don't bathe, nothing. He's saying, I want you to be holy because I am holy. You are a son or daughter of the king now. The goal of the prayer, the goal of prayer is to change us, not God. To change our world, not God. To change our minds and hearts, not God's. The goal of prayer is to get us in line with him, in fellowship with God. Let me hear, uh, let me help clear some a big misconception about this that Christians have. Have you ever heard someone say, be careful what you pray for? Raise your hand, raise your hand. I've heard mature Christians say that and believe it. I have even said it, and it's wrong. It is so wrong. Like, do you get how wrong it is? Like somehow that, that idea is like, God is, has this maniacal laugh, <laughs> right? Like he's waiting for you to pray the wrong thing. Like he, he says, oh, you prayed that you wanted that job. <laughs> I, I had a better job for you over here that paid great wages and was in the perfect place and would fit in your family. But now that you asked for that job, oh man, I'm going to give you that job. Hey, everybody gather around. He asked for this job. That's not God. That's Satan. Do you understand? Get that thought out of your head. That like, oh man, we got to be careful what we pray for here. God is going to answer the prayer just like the great king in the story on what is good for his kingdom that will grow it and what's good for you. Do you see how that works? Matthew 7 verse 7 says this. And ask it will, and ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened who among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him ask God talk to him and let me just add, you don't have to put the right words around your prayer. I know I meet with new Christians that accept Christ and sometimes, you know, they're struggling to find words. They go, Pastor, I don't know, I don't know how to pray. I don't, I don't know what words. I said, just, just talk, baby. Just talk. You don't have to get your words right like we talked about in week one. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, living and working and praying within your heart. Paul speaks of this in Galatians 4, 6. He says, and because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is an incomplete translation here, but Abba, you can just sum it up by saying, Daddy. Daddy, 
Check this out. Because you are sons, do you get that? You are the little boy in the story from earlier. Your father is the king or you're the little boy from outside the palace that he goes to rescue. You have access to the king. You have been adopted in, not by uh, just some king or some wealthy king, but by the king of kings, the holy one, the all-powerful God. He has given his spirit to live inside you and will pray on your behalf. Listen, listen. Rest in God's sovereignty. Rest in God's sovereignty. His plans. His timing. There's a city back in the east called Providence, Providence, Rhode Island, right? Providence is that same thing. God's plans. His sovereignty is His overwhelming power. He is outside of time and space. He controls everything. You can rest in that, that there is a good king. You can rest in that, especially rest when you don't understand. Or you can choose to worry and fret. Let me just ask, how's that working out for you? You go, I'm, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Yeah I, yeah, I see that. I see that. Why don't you rest in His sovereignty? 1 Timothy 6.15 says this, God will bring this about in His own time. He is the blessed and holy sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's close our series. Let's close our time today with this thought. And then we're going to worship in just a minute. And I've asked them to do kind of two songs back to back to give you some time. I don't know about you, but I want to be in control. Anybody else want to be in control? Some of you are like, <laughs> I want to be in control. I want to do something. I want to, I want to do something. God, let me do something. Sometimes... There's nothing to do, but here's what you can do. In the little tiny book of Jude, right before Revelation, it's only one chapter long, so the 20th verse says, but you, dear friends, as you build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, look at this, dear friends, as you build yourself up, that's, that's what you do. Look at this. You build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. I can't wait next week when we start a Revelation series. We are waiting for the imminent return of the good King. But until then, it says you keep yourself in the love of God. Build yourself up in the most holy faith, what is that faith? The faith in God's sovereignty over your life that he knows even if you don't. You don't do that by praying. I mean, you do that by praying, but what? Write this down. Keep yourself in the love of God. This is what you do. Please hear me. You don't do anything to earn your salvation. God's grace and faith to receive it are both a gift of the sovereign God who chooses to save you out of death and to life. But what is clear is that you do keep yourself in the love of God. That's not saying keep yourself saved. It's saying keep yourself in the love of God. What we do, we do that by praying through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That means rather than praying on your own desires, praying for God's agenda and plans for your life and the world you live in. This idea of keeping yourself in the love of God is choosing to be strong doctrinally. Some of you are like, get all kind of weird on me when I talk about theology or doctrine. Theology is just studying the, the king we love, understanding his character, who he is. And doctrine is the glasses we look at scripture and the world through. We get that from the study of theology. That's why we work so hard on Sunday. That's why I have you dig into your Bible. Persevering in power, even through great struggles, even through great difficulties, know that these difficulties God is using and nothing has happened to you that has not passed through the loving king's hand. Do you understand? Nothing has happened to you that has not passed through the loving king's hand. You go, Paul, there's been so horrible stuff. I know, I know I've walked with you through it. But there's a good king. And he wants you to keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. You go, oh, Paul, I know. No, 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 you don't understand. Keep yourself in the love of God. Well, I'm trying to start praying. No, no, this is critical for your future. You must keep yourself in the love of God. You have to do this. There's no one else that's going to do it. You have to do it for yourself. Keep yourself in the love of God. Let's pray. God, I love this church. I love each and every one in this church. Got to look out on the faces. And I know so many stories. God, you know my fear is that there are people in this room who call and think themselves Christians but are headed to hell. God, I know that there are people in this room that treat following you as some nice afterthought. God, how do I preach how do I teach in such a way that you will wake them up? I pray that you would show us as a church how to live each day to combine with the other church members in fellowship to search your scriptures daily so that we would become the individuals you've called us to be and we would become the church you've called us to be. As you continue to pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're not a Christian or you suspect that you may not be a Christian. Listen close to me. The reason I'm a Christian is not because I'm a good person. Any other Christian in this room didn't get that way because we somehow figured out how to be a little bit better than you. The way that God saved us 
was that he called us out of spiritual death and into life. Do you understand? Now, this is my prayer, is that God is doing that to you right now. <laughs> You're fighting like crazy, but hear me out. Hear me out. If this message is making sense to you in this way, that your sins have separated you from a holy God and that you're dead in your sins, you're getting it. But that God has called you and he has sent his one and only son to take your place that's what the message of Jesus dying on the cross is. Is Jesus' death, His blood, is a substitute for your payment of sins. Do you understand? If that is making sense, if you understand that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for your sins, you are being regenerated, called to life. Will you respond? Will you wake up? Will you take off the old grave clothes and put on the, the, the clothes God has for you to live a new life? Now, now, hear me out. If this is making sense and you believe Jesus is the Son of God, He's paid for your sins, your sins no longer have any effect or hold on you. The past sins, your present, even the future ones. I know that sounds crazy. I'll explain more later, but... God has paid for your sins. So what will you do? What will you do? The Bible says count the cost. God has taken the righteousness of Jesus and given it to you. When God looks at you now, he sees his own son. The righteousness. So will you give your life to him? You do that by turning your back on your sins, saying, I, I won't sin, I won't sin. And listen, you will have times you sin, but you're already forgiven of it. Just turn your back again, get back up, follow Jesus, and start to live your life in such a way that it glorifies the King. Live in the love of God. So end your prayer like this. God, you can have all my tomorrows. I want to live and follow you. I want to put myself in your love. I want to follow you with all my heart. But God, I'm screwed up and I don't know what to do. Will you show me? Say, thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
who is some nice afterthought. God, how do I preach? How do I teach in such a way that you will wake them up? I pray that you would show us as a church how to live each day to combine with the other church members in fellowship to search your scriptures daily so that we would become the individuals you've called us to be and we would become the church you've called us to be. As you continue to pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're not a Christian or you suspect that you may not be a Christian, listen close to me. The reason I'm a Christian is not because I'm a good person. Any other Christian in this room didn't get that way because we somehow figured out how to be a little bit better than you. The way that God saved us was that he called us out of spiritual death and into life. Do you understand? That this is my prayer. Is that God is doing that to you right now. And you're fighting like crazy, but hear me out. Hear me out. If this message is making sense to you in this way, that your sins have separated you from a holy God and that you're dead in your sins, you're getting it. But that God has called you and He has sent His one and only Son to take your place. That's what the message of Jesus dying on the cross is. Is Jesus Death, his blood is a substitute for your payment of sins. Do you understand? If that is making sense, if you understand that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for your sins, you are being regenerated, called to life. Will you respond? Will you wake up? Will you take off the old grave clothes and put on the, the, the clothes God has for you to live a new life? Now, now, hear me out. If this is making sense and you believe Jesus is the Son of God, He's paid for your sins, your sins no longer have any effect or hold on you. The past sins, your present, even the future ones. I know that sounds crazy. I'll explain more later, but God has paid for your sins. So what will you do? What will you do? The Bible says count the cost. God has taken the righteousness of Jesus and given it to you. When God looks at you now, he sees his own son. The righteousness. So will you give your life to him? You do that by turning your back on your sins, saying, I, I won't sin, I won't sin. And listen, you will have times you sin, but you're already forgiven of it. Just turn your back again, get back up. He's his 
own son. The righteousness. So will you give your life to him? You do that by turning your back on your sins. Saying, I I won't sin. I won't sin. And listen, you will have times you sin. But you're already forgiven of it. Just turn your back again. Get back up. Follow Jesus. And start to live your life in such a way that it glorifies the King. Live in the love of God. So end your prayer like this. God, you can have all my tomorrows. I want to live and follow you. I want to put myself in your love. I want to follow you with all my heart. But God, I'm screwed up and I don't know what to do. Will you show me? Say, thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.